Well, good morning. Uh, welcome. Uh, my name's Will. I'm, uh, I'm not one of the pastors, but I've been given the opportunity from time to time to preach, uh, and this morning happens to be one of those opportunities. Uh, so if you're new, you picked a bad week to come. Um, just come back next week um, when one of the professionals is, is up here. But no, no, I'm, I'm excited, um, and I'm happy you all are here. So... Uh, so let's talk about Pride and Prejudice for a little bit. This is going to be the Pride and Prejudice fan club. You thought I was going to preach a sermon. No, I've, I've seen Pride and Prejudice uh, a lot, and I've seen a lot of versions of Pride and Prejudice. I've seen uh, the A&E version, the Kira Knightley version, the old black and white version, the Bollywood version, uh, the modern Mormon version, and I've seen all of them multiple times. The TV was on, guys. I, I, <laughs> uh, I haven't seen any of them recently. Um, this was mainly around high school. Uh, I was homeschooled, and as you can tell, I had a thriving social life. So, um, but I had to carve out time for Pride and Prejudice. Um, I don't think I ever actually was responsible for turning it on. Um, I can blame my, my mom and sisters for that, but for some reason, I still ended up choosing without restraints to sit through hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of period romantic drama. Now, seriously, there is a lot to like about Pride and Prejudice. It's funny, it's moving, it's got a satisfying ending. Who all seen Pride and Prejudice? All right, I lost half of you, okay. All right, just bear with me. Um, the central story of Pride and Prejudice is Elizabeth Bennet realizing that she was wrong about Mr. Darcy. Like that's the core story. Uh, Pride is talking about Mr. Darcy. Prejudice is talking about Elizabeth Bennet. And it's their journey to realizing, Elizabeth realizing she was wrong. In the beginning, she met Mr. Darcy. She saw a proud man and immediately counted him out. As far as she was concerned, he was just a pompous jerk. But over the course of the story, we discover with her that not only was she wrong, but she was completely wrong. That once she got under the surface appearances, she found someone she could trust, someone she could love, someone who deeply cares about others. So by the end of the story, everyone who's watched it, which is about half of you or less than half of you, so the rest of you are going to have to go watch it. Um, sorry, spoiler alert, that's for something that's like 100 or 200 years old. Um, the people who you thought at the beginning were totally incompatible, by the end, everyone agrees they need to be together, that they're perfect for each other. So the, the passage we're dealing with today has, a, that, has that core idea of coming to realize the incompatible is actually compatible. That's, that's a similar thing. And today we're going to be really dealing with two realities that on the surface seem completely incompatible, that shouldn't mix. Faith works. And over the course of the passage, James shows us that faith, not only that faith and works are compatible, but that they need each other, that they can't exist by themselves that it was always meant to be that faith and works would be together. So we're in a series in the book of James. 
uh, and the book of James is all about what it means to be a Christian in real life. So James isn't doing theological deep dives like Peter or Paul. He's talking to people who know the theology, who've listened to the sermons, who've read the Word, and he's saying, okay, great, you know all that, but what do you do when you face trials? What do you do when you need wisdom? What do you do when you're tempted? What do you do about your anger? What do you do when you're frustrated with other people in the church? What do you do about the poor? What do you do about the rich? What do you do about the way you talk? So to James, faith is not just theory that we talk about, it's real, and it matters in every part of your life. So here in chapter 2, James is saying that faith is so real, so palpable, that it has to have works. That despite outward differences, faith and works are fundamentally connected. So we're going to read the passage, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to dig in. So uh, if you have your Bible, turn to James 2. We're going to start in verse 14. We'll have it up here as well. So verse 14. What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well, may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him, credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was Rahab the prostitute not justified by works also when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Let's pray. Father, this is a counterintuitive passage, and we need your help. We want to walk by faith. We want to be saved. We want to know you. Father, help us to see what this means, what this is saying. Lead us to clarity. Lead us to real faith in you. We're trusting you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans 3, 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 4, 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So we have a problem. Uh, Before I prayed, I read James. After I prayed, I read Paul. And you may have noticed some discrepancies, some contradictions and how they both talk about faith and works. So James is saying we can't be saved if our faith doesn't have works. James 2.14, what use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? That's a rhetorical question. His implied answer is no, that faith cannot save you. Verse 17, in the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Verse 20, are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? If faith exists to save, that's its use, that's its purpose. Without works, if it's useless, it cannot save. Verse 26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is is dead. And in case you missed it, Paul is saying we can only be saved by faith apart from the works of the law, not through works. So Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Romans 3.28, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So what do we do with that? Can we be saved by faith or not? Is faith sufficient or do we need something more? So we're going to look in James 2 and in other passages to answer the question, what is faith? And when we ask the question, what is faith, what I really want to know is, what is saving faith? I want to know the faith that James and Paul can agree will save you. Because it's not an overstatement, based on these passages that we've just looked at, that salvation hangs in the balance. Both James and Paul are trying to describe what it means to be saved and what it looks like. So if if we get it wrong, there could be eternal consequences. But both James and Paul agree that faith is our means of salvation. But there are discrepancies, so we need clarity. 
So we're asking, what is faith? We're going to filter out faith that doesn't save and arrive at the faith that saves. So first point, faith is more than knowledge. I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. I believe that God loves me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for, for my sins. All, those are all things that I believe. But when I say believe, uh, what I'm really saying is that I hold those things to be true, that I'm, I'm persuaded that those are true realities. And James uses that word believe the same way in verse 19, uh, chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So here, when he says you believe that God is one, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6.4 where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. This is called the Shema. The Jews consider this to be the foundational tenet of the Old Testament, distinguishing God, the God of the Jews from all the other gods. So when they recite the Shema, they're basically saying that they believe and are persuaded that there is only one God, and he is Yahweh. So for James's Jewish Christian audience, which is what this letter was written for, this would have been the dividing line to them between orthodoxy and heresy, something that you, something that you have to believe to be a Jew, or by extension, a Christian. Uh, but James is saying in verse 19, that's not saving faith. Believing that truth is not saving faith because the demons believe the same thing. So knowing something to be true, being persuaded of something, and even defending your point of view on that thing is not the same as faith, according to James. Because you can know those things and it can completely miss you at the heart level. Demons don't have a faith relationship with God. Like, no one's going to argue that. But they do believe true things about him and likely more true things about him than we do. So that means you're not going to be saved because you believed the right things. Faith includes knowledge, but it's more than knowledge. Point two, faith is more than works. Now, this is the point where it might be tempting to say, well, works is what you need then. If knowledge isn't enough, knowledge plus works must be enough. After all, James is saying, faith without works is dead. It's useless. It can't save. But we're, we're not ready to go there yet. That's not, we can't go to, to works yet. Because faith isn't knowledge plus works. If faith was knowledge plus works, then you could just figure out the right combination of things to learn and works to do and just make it your business to do those things over and over and over again. And in fact, that's what the religious leaders of Jesus' day were doing. The Pharisees were the model of what it means to compile a list of things to know and works to do, nail that list, and still not have faith in the living God. They knew how to follow the letter of the law, but completely missed it at the heart level. And missing it at the heart level completely undermined 
the works that they did. Because I'm sure, as all of you know, it's possible to sing a praise song without worshiping. It's possible to help people without having compassion. It's possible to give regularly without being generous. It's possible to wait without having patience. It's possible to not cheat on your spouse and still not love them. It's possible to have works without faith. Knowledge plus works is what the Pharisees were. So if you think faith is knowledge plus works, you could go your whole life and end up like the people that Jesus talked about in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, no one wants to hear those words spoken to them. Like, I guarantee you, no one in here is like, oh, yeah, that one, that's not that bad. No, that's, that's, that's horrible. It's, but it's nevertheless possible. So if knowledge isn't enough and works aren't enough and the combination isn't enough, what's faith? Point three, three. Faith is a work of God. So we looked briefly at Ephesians 2 uh, earlier, but I want us to zoom out from verses 8 and 9 and get the full picture. So we're going to start in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom... We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See that transition in verse 4? So in verses 1 to 3, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's the state of everyone in this room before they're saved. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And then verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So you weren't saved because you were smart enough. You weren't saved because you figured it out. 
You weren't saved because you earned it. You were saved because once you were dead, and God made you alive. It didn't come from you. It wasn't caused by you. It didn't originate from you. It came from God. A blind man can't will himself to see. A deaf man can't make himself to hear. A lame man can't pick himself up to walk. And a dead man can't make himself alive. So if any of you have faith, it's because God created it in you when you were dead to him. So let's look at verses 8 and 9 and show your experience of that event. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. If you see that, that kind of the parallel between verse 5 and verse 8, your experience of being made alive was putting your faith in Christ. Him making you alive and you putting your faith are the same event. Once you ran from God, and then you ran toward God. Once you were uninterested in God, then you were consumed with God. Once you didn't trust him, and then you did. But it wasn't your doing, it was the gift of God, not a result of your actions. So Paul describes this another way, the same thing, another way in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Before we were blind, but the, now the one who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts so that we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So faith is the result of God calling you out of darkness and into his glorious light. So before, putting, before being saved, you put your faith into your highest and most desired outcome. You trusted in money or comfort or pleasure or achievement or relationships or fun. You pursued, pursued it because that was where you could see that hope was found, where joy was hiding, where satisfaction was calling. And then your eyes were opened to God and his glory in Jesus. And you realized you were chasing empty things. You were chasing things that can't satisfy. You were pursuing fulfillment in things that can't provide it because that can only be found in God. Faith is receiving and resting in God. 
receiving his promises, receiving his correction, receiving his help, receiving his mercy, receiving his love, receiving him and resting in him. It's the heartbeat of a new creation in Christ. It's our new relationship to him, created by him and sustained by him. So there's our definition this morning to what is faith. Faith is receiving and resting in God. And it's a work of God. But okay, so, so that's great, and it is. But how can we know that we have that? How do we know that we actually have faith and not just knowledge? What does that saving faith look like in our real life? Which takes us to point four. Faith is intangible. Now, intangible means uh, unable to be touched or grasped, not having physical presence. Faith, though real, is not really a thing in itself. It's intangible. You can't pick it up. You can't poke it or prod it or measure it or analyze it in a lab. It's invisible by itself. You don't accrue faith units. You're not measured on a faith scale. You can't put someone in a lab, run a series of tests, and produce a faith rating. It's an abstract concept to describe the relationship between us and God. And relationships are invisible. They're intangible. And because they're invisible, invisible, because they're intangible, in verse 14 of James 2, when someone says they have faith, it can't be measured by itself. Which means someone could mistakenly think they have faith when they don't. So if faith is intangible, how do we know we have faith? Point five, faith is seen through works. When James uses the word works, he's not using code for specific religious activity. The word in Greek, uh, ergon, just means activity or deed, the things you do. So works here are just actions. And in the context, actions that flow out of faith. So this is different from the works of the law that Paul was talking about earlier in Ephesians, Romans, and Galatians. So the works of the law are actions taken to justify yourself before God by obeying the commands of God. The works of the law is what the Pharisees were doing, attempting to build their relationship to God, to bridge the gap between you and God by works. The works of faith that James is talking about are not works, are not working toward salvation. They're working out from salvation. So the relationship between faith and works is kind of like gravity. So if I, even if I asked you, nobody could run outside, grab a piece of gravity, come back out for us all to like, like 
mess around with it. Um, can't isolate gravity in a lab and run tests on it. It's invisible by itself. In fact, it's so invisible that it's only relatively recently in human history that it was even codified as a thing. It's not a tangible object, and yet we all know it's real. And we know it's real because of its works. The way you identify gravity is by the effect it has on tangible objects. So it's existing all around us, but it's not observable until you see its effects. So how do we know gravity is a thing? It's because when an apple falls from a tree, it always falls down to earth. An item falling or an item sitting firmly on the ground when it could otherwise float around or do, go in any direction at once are all works of gravity. The, the fact that all of you are sitting in a chair or firmly planted on the ground is a work of gravity. It's an invisible relationship between objects. So if an apple has a gravitational relationship to the earth, that gravitational relationship will be shown when you drop the apple. If it doesn't fall to the earth, that's how you know it doesn't have that relationship. If you have faith in God, then that faith relationship will be shown in your actions. You are being pulled to God in your spirit, and given the opportunity, your actions will show that pull. Matthew 5, Jesus said, starting in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your works are the flavor and light that emanate out from faith in Jesus. God created you for works to flow out of a new faith relationship with him. You were designed for that. Back to Ephesians 2. We've read 8 and 9 a ton of times, but I want to see the next verse. <clears throat> for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not a, your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Galatians 5, 6, for Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, but only faith working through love. God made you to shine, to love, to do out of your relationship with him. So that to do good works is the native impulse of the believer, but it's also the goal of the believer. Faith is not only shown to exist by the works of faith, but the works of faith also complete your faith and glorify the object of your faith. James 2, verse 21. 
Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, and Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So Abraham was told to offer up Isaac 30 years after he had first placed his faith in God. After years of receiving and resting in God's promises, he was told to do this. He didn't know what God was doing. He didn't know why God wanted him to do it. But he knew God. He knew who was asking him. He knew the goodness of God. He knew the faithfulness of God. He knew the wisdom of God. He knew the power of God. He trusted the God he knew. And so he obeyed. And according to James, Abraham's faith was perfected. James, verse 22. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. It was completed. It was put on display. That faith was put on display that faith, the faith that was there all along, it brought it to fruition, justifying Abraham's claim to faith and glorifying God. Works are the vital signs of faith, but they're also the glory of God in our lives. The Westminster Shorter Catechism's answer to the question, what is the chief end of man, is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We enjoy him by faith, receiving and resting in him looking forward to the day when we can fully receive and rest in him, and we glorify him by our works putting on display the majesty of God, that he is so worthy, so faithful, so kind, and so loving that we lay ourselves down for others to love, to forgive, to show mercy, to serve, to build up, to bear with, and bring to Jesus. That all flows out of the faith that saves Worship team, you can come up. Now, some, some of you may be thinking, well, that, that's not my experience. I'm, I mess up all the time. I'm, I'm not doing works of faith even when I want to. So this, this could be a very discouraging sermon for some of you. I, I don't know, but can I just encourage you the takeaway from this passage should not be, man, I need to get my butt in gear and start working or I'm going to be left behind. The takeaway from this passage should be a pursuit of God. The takeaway from this passage should be to find out what it was that so gripped Abraham and Rahab to take such radical steps of faith. The takeaway from this passage 
should be to get so wrapped up in the heart of God that when we see someone with needs, you are moved to act like God would act. To be so satisfied in Jesus' love for you, so thankful for his kindness to you, so secure in his promises to you that you'll live out of your trust and delight in him. The takeaway from this passage should be to drive us back to God. When someone has faith, that faith is invisible even to them. It's not a thing in itself. It's a relationship between you or something else. When you have faith in Jesus, what you see is Jesus. When Abraham obeyed God, he wasn't thinking about meeting a faith quota. He was thinking about the one in whom he believed. So if you feel far from him, working's not going to get you any closer. Come to him. Receive and rest in the one who wants to give you life. And when you find him and you're filled with his glory and his kindness and mercy, shine. So that others can see it too. Let's sing, guys.